Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, we do know this, that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So the point of being around other gals, guys, is to make sure that you know where the line is drawn and that when you're single, that's generally at that age, you're trying to find out who might be a wonderful life partner. So be very, very careful because there is a line to be drawn to not be unequally yoked. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, our wife here in just a moment. But I would just like to caution the young men in here to realize that once you have intimacy with someone who is not your wife, you are still yoked to them in a very unusual, emotional, tied way because it's an inside job rather than just lying or taking answers off of someone else's test paper. It's far more, I mean, it cuts you to the quick. You can never unring that bell. You can never unscramble that egg once it's happened to you. Now, I've been dean of men in the Bible college for many, many years, and so I've had men who were preparing for ministry, young men, come in front of me. And then I've had to deal with the shattered lives and the question whether or not they could still serve. I was in China, and a young lady who was preparing for ministry at one of their seminaries came up to Carol and said, I'm no good any longer. I just learned, and we were preaching and teaching about holiness and all. And she said, I can't serve, I can't be used of God any longer. She was so shattered. She dealt with so much guilt. There was supposed to be a 10-minute talk until she got into it, and we stood for hours and hours while we had a translator and Carol just help this gal to see a life that was shattered by some guy who probably um, didn't know or should have known where the line was drawn, and he just abused and used her, and she allowed herself to be that way, and we weren't there in the bedroom, so we don't know how much she participated or launched this thing herself. I don't know. I just know that the end product of not doing it God's way is destruction. And by the way, let me just mention to you when it talks about uh, this. Guys, when you are with a gal and she's single and you're single, it's not okay to do this with them just because you're both single. You think it's horrible if she's married. I don't want to do that. She's someone else. I I get all that and I understand the seriousness of that. But remember, even if she's single, she will be someone else's wife. So you are messing with someone else's wife. All right, so teach your sons to guard his heart. Guard his eyes. Guard his ears, guard his hands, guard his feet. Number three, or number six, lesson six. Obviously, this will lead us to the sixth lesson, which is to teach your son to love his wife, to love his wife. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 here, Proverbs five fifteen. Dads, I want you to go through this with your son, but get yourself out a good commentary, maybe a good equivalency version But for right now, the actual literal translation will say this. And if you really ponder these points, you're going to see how rich this is about loving your wife. Verse 15, and by the way, while you're going to teach your son this, you might need to clean up some things between you and your own wife, his mother. It says, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Now that sounds weird, but don't let it sound too weird to you because this is what they call the poetical book. So it's kind of poetical language. But the poetical language actually is kind of giving you a lot more that you can draw from in your mind. So your own cistern would be your source of of life and strength is your wife. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well, which means that it can be fresh and new and keep your intimacy fresh. Keep it clean. Let it be flowing. 
Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? And that would be anything part of your strength, the very essence of who you are, and it can go all the way out to the uh, part of your um, anatomy and then as well as the chemicals and fluids that come out of your anatomy. Why should they be spread abroad to everybody else that's out there? It belongs in your own bedroom with your own wife. Verse 17, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And underline that, rejoice in the wife. If you're not rejoicing with her, in her Get some help, okay? As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner, a strange woman? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He sees, and by the way, the neat thing about the eyes of the Lord, it says the Lord also sees the heart, not just the outward thing. So when you see eyes, he just doesn't see... When you're in the back seat of a car and you're in some motel somewhere and on a lonely beach, he saw it in your heart as you're figuring out how to get to that beach and how you're going to hide it from your family. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all of his paths. So you have to give accountability to that. So let me just encourage that, that you would make sure that you model in front of your son the kind of relationship he needs to have with his dad. My mom, bless her heart, and I really love her. She has taught me a lot and but my mom was a, a uh, um, I, I had a little bit more difficulty communicating with my mom, and, and there's probably a lot of reasons why. But I do know that my dad <clears throat> really spent a lot of time speaking to me about man things and how to treat a woman. I remember when I began courting Carol, my dad would go to the backyard and he'd get one of those gardenias, and the gardenia is still my most favorite of all flowers. And I'll get a gar- he got a gardenia, and he wrapped it all up, and he put aluminum foil at the bottom of this, and he says, now you bring this to Carol now. You show her that you really care for her. You give her that. And so I bring it to Carol, and here it was with this big aluminum foil thing stuck over this thing that he kind of taped together with scotch tape. Carol's laughing because there it was. And I give it to her, and she had the hardest time trying to say, well, maybe, maybe I'll put it in the refrigerator and wear it later, okay? You know? My dad taught me that. My dad taught me to open the car door, how to treat her, how to speak with her, how to be kind to her. I watched my dad do the cooking in the house. I watched my dad do the grocery shopping in the house. I watched my dad prepare for holidays, getting the house ready. He was a rough and tough, hard-to-diaper construction painter, and he still did all I remember when my mom got old, I would watch my dad take my mom out for some kind of exercise kind of thing. They'd go to the mall, but he would carry my mom's purse because she didn't want to be bothered with that. And I watched my dad do that cheerfully. I never once heard my dad ever say a disparaging word about my mom. I have, I'm looking at you. I've never seen my dad ogle a woman or compare my mom to another woman in my life. I don't know that my dad ever opened up Scripture. He was lost at that time. He did get saved, and he is in heaven now. But he modeled it, and I am forever grateful for that in my life. And so you guys, you might not know all of Scripture. You know, You, you, you might not remember all of this stuff I'm giving you. But you know in your heart, it's written in your heart, how to lovingly treat a, a woman, in this case, your wife. Your wife was given to you by God. You know that, and she should be your best friend and companion. Number seven, lesson seven. Teach your son to watch his words. Teach your son to watch his words. Um, sounds so small in this portion of Scripture here when you put it up against loving your wife and not running around with loose women and loving the Lord. Then it says, watch your words. Yeah, 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 you got to watch your words. They're very powerful in your life. You really do need to watch them. 
And I've given you a whole number of verses there for you, but look in um, Proverbs 4, verse 24. Just look at that. It says here, Put away from you a deceitful mouth, the father telling the son. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put your devious speech far from you. Well, then I got thinking, and this is what I would like you to do. It's a little bit of homework for you. Make a list of all the negative things that could come out of words that would not be honoring to the Lord. And you and your family have a discussion and try to make a list, as many as you can come up with. I'm going to get you started. So just write some of these down and then let your family go and add to this list. What would be words that would be dishonoring to the Lord? Lying words, deceitful words, profanity, sarcasm, which is humor at someone else's expense, words that would tear down, gossip, talking about someone else behind their back without them being there to give their perspective. Slander, which would be actually telling a lie about someone else, bringing them down in the eyes of others. So you want to watch out for all the negative words. Now come up with some more words that would not be honoring to the Lord, that would be words that would tear down. You come up with them and have your son come up with them. Now next to that list, because I don't want you to be just filled up with a lot of negativity, make another list of all the words that that should come out of your son's mouth. That would be words that would build up someone, that would build up someone. And so then compare those two together, and then sit down with your son and say, Son, these are the verses the pastor gave us today. We see the value of this because it's not just about, you got to talk right. It's about our whole life. This thing is, is, is the very nature of who we are as men in this world that's going to impact the world. We're going to go through all of this. Now together, let's make our list. And you hold me accountable, I'll hold you accountable. We're going to work on this together. And at the end of the week, let's celebrate how God is bringing out a new conversation. And remember, watch this, watch this, watch Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're dealing with a son who's got a lot of these problems, or you've got a lot of these problems, your problem isn't your word. That's an outward sign of an inward problem. Your problem is a heart. And so go in your heart. Why is there bitterness in your heart? Why do you want to tear someone else down anyway? What need is not being met because you're not letting God meet that need and you keep drinking the sand of Satan and he's not ever quenching it and so you're still after all that stuff. What is happening in your life? So dig a little bit deeper, but teach him to watch his words. I'll tell you, have you ever been around someone who just knows how to speak? Aloha. Don't you love being around people like that that just know how to speak? Aloha. And that's what this is all about. All right, let's go to number eight, lesson eight. Teach your son to pursue work. Teach your son to pursue work. That begins, first of all, by modeling it yourself. Now, let me caution you, dads, and I'm speaking more to me on this one. Really, I am. I don't have a problem modeling to my son to work, 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 work. I had a dad who had a work ethic. Okay, I get that. For me, I had to make sure that my son didn't see that my whole life was nothing but work. All right, I had to have some time of play, and so I have to. Str- I struggle with that part. But most dads, though, have a problem with as soon as they get home from work, feet up are on the on the lazy boy chair. They get to watch the ball game for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. There, and they're talking about I'm so tired. Oh, work was so bad. People are working. Oh, I can't stand them. Going home. Oh, give me time to break. All of a sudden, it makes work like I'm going to be tortured. Let's. Going to torture today. Well, I get that, and some work is kind of tough, and I've been in some churches that felt like I was being tortured. I get that, but not here. But at the same time, we need to let them know that the work ethic is so valuable because it's from that work ethic that will teach them the things in life that will help them to become strong. You know, the lazy person will have failure in his life, 
He'll have poverty in his life. He'll have hunger in his life. Working hard means to work when the boss sees you, when he doesn't see you. Working hard came all the way back from the fall to today. A lazy person, I imagine, will have a life that's filled with so much heartache. And you know who they are. You know people like that. You just drive up and down some of our streets near the beach and you'll see people that say they want to work and it stops there, okay? So teach them that a diligent man will earn a good living. has plenty of food. He's rewarded for his effort and he earns the respect even before. Now, can you give me a minute on this because I need to talk a little bit about our system of um, life in America. If I was to give you this 20 years ago, I would tell you that we need to do this. Now that I'm 20 years down the road and I've watched our country in the last six years and maybe even before that go in a direction that we do not reward hard work. That it seems like the harder we work, which means that we will get the kind of jobs, we will earn more money or we'll start to go into business and we keep working hard, most of that is taken away from us through taxation and a whole lot of other stuff which then what happens is it begins to reduce the amount of incentive for us to continue working because the more we work, the harder we work, the less we make. Now, you couple that next to those who work less or not as hard that legitimately can work, underline that, but don't, and they are now helped because they don't do that, then that makes us have less incentive to work. So the thing then comes, all right, our heart is saying, why work so hard when i got to give so much away to people who don't deserve it? And so now all that's doing is making it harder and harder for us to keep working. Now, if you take your, this whole concept of the work ethic back into the Bible days, you had slavery then, you had a lot of mismanagement of funds with government as well, you had just as much graft and problems, and yet the Bible still drops these truths into whatever culture we are, whatever time we are, whatever mismanagement of our money or funds that might be, taxation, etc., it still says we need to work hard. I think it's far more than just because I work, I have some money to go do something and buy myself something. That is some outward motivation, and I get that, and I like that. But I think there's something that's so deep within us that when God tells us to work, it does something, if I can use the term, magical and mystical in self-fulfillment when there's an element of being able to work. Carol and I were down at Waikiki a few times, not... Dave, but there was a guy who was homeless. He had a broken rake. The teeth were missing in the rake. He had his stinky old sleeping bag. He had an old backpack. His clothes were almost immodest. They were so shredded. And with this rake in Kapilani Park, where the buses are, he was raking all that dirt and piling up all those leaves. Pile here, pile there, pile here, pile... No one told him to do that. I'd I'd give him anything for someone who wanted to work like that to do something on his own that did it. Now, whether he knew of his right mind, I do not know. But here was someone that I imagine at the end of it, he could look back and see these piles of stuff that he did and how good that it felt, and no one paid him to do that. All right, number nine. I'll finish these here for sure. Teach your son, obviously, because when he does work, he will get money, so teach your son to manage his money. Teach your son to manage his money. And I believe in chapter 3, verse 9, since it starts talking about it first, what's the first thing he tells him to do? Look in verse 9. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth, whether you got it through inheritance or someone in your family was able to provide you with a lot of stuff because you have some good family members that she just dumped a lot of gifts on you. 
or whether you work real hard. So honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruit of all your produce. So that is something that you would work for. Wealth may be gotten by something you didn't work for, but you have extra. The produce is something that you have because you did work for it to get it. But it says first of all your produce. So you're teaching your son to manage his money by the very first thing he does is then when he gets this resource, this income in, that he is to give from the first of it to the Lord. Verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty. That means if you want more, obviously you want to work hard. You also want to manage your money but you also want to give it. And it goes on to say, and your vats will overflow with new vines. So I would tell you this, teach your son the value of giving back to God that which he makes. And you start that when he's a little child and he gets some coins, when he collects some cans and you take them over there to the recycling bin and you let him put those cans in with you and he gets that money. You teach him the first part of that. He gets money in from grandparents or whatever as a gift. You teach him a part of that gift that he got. He needs to give it back to the Lord. Then he's seen you do it while you're sitting there and a plague comes by. You do it or there's a missionary or someone who's hungry and they have a legitimate need. That's my key phrase, remember. You're going to then help them to do that. So he's watching you do that. You're a giver. You're generous. You don't do it begrudgingly. You do it consistently, sacrificially, generously. You're teaching him to do that and when he does, the end product will be he will get more sooner or later. So you're teaching them the importance of, again, giving his money, honoring the Lord with it. But also you're going to teach him in chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, not to co-sign for strangers. And generally it means just to go into business with someone. Sometimes partnerships can be a real uh, challenge uh, financially because you don't always have control over those that you are now um, connected with legally. So be careful of uh, co-signing for strangers. And the last one is this, and I'll end. Lesson 10 is teach your son to love his neighbor. To love his neighbor. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, it really basically says, uh, don't withhold good from those who really need it. Your neighbor is not someone who just lives next door. It's someone who lives with us on the island. Someone who has a need. Someone who's nearby. Could be someone you work with. Could be someone that you are on the same team with. Don't withhold good when, it, when that person, don't delay in helping your neighbor. If he comes to you and he says, I need it now, don't put him off if you can help him now. Don't devise harm to your next door neighbor. If he's right next to you and you've got a bad next door neighbor and he does some stuff to you and your plants and your tree that hangs over or whatever, remember that uh, God put him there for you to love him to the Lord. And sometimes uh, you can hold him accountable by lovingly kind of do a whole ponopono with him, but at the same time you want to not do harm to them. Don't go in conflict with your neighbor when he has done you no harm. Don't get into arguments over the littlest things. You want to lead him to the Lord. Don't be vengeful, and the end product will be you will be honored. If you remember, in the New Testament it says, what are the two commandments? The great commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second one is like unto it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Teach your son to love the neighbor. Maybe sometimes you might have him roll in that trash can for the neighbor and put it up for him. It might be that he helps maybe edge or rake up some leaves to the neighbor. Teach him what it means to really be neighborly, to go out of his way to help others around him. Teach him how good it feels when you do that and how that might help him. So the conclusion, if you fail to do these things that we're learning today, if you fail to teach your son to fear God, the devil will teach him to hate God. If you fail to teach your son to guard his mind, the devil will teach him to have an open mind. And of course, an open mind brings all the bugs and criminals into his mind, the things that will pollute his mind. Teach your son to obey his parents, and the, or the devil will teach him to rebel and break his parents' heart. I can imagine only those who have done the best they could with their son, and their son rebelled. Broken hearts. Some of you might be carrying a broken heart right now. Carol and I have had a broken heart for a while with our son, and 
Then to watch how the Lord brought him back again, how he just feeds us back all the things he was taught as a young man and how he chose to purposely not live by those. And then God got a hold of him and now he's sold out for the Lord. So again, teach him to obey his parents. Teach your son to select his companions. The devil will gladly choose them for him if he doesn't choose the right ones. So teach him to be proactive. Teach your son to control his body. The devil will teach him to give it over completely to lust. And you know how easy it is to fulfill lust today with the internet. Teach your son to enjoy his marriage partner that God has given him, particularly a wife. The devil will teach him to destroy the marriage. Teach your son to watch his words. If you fail to teach him that, the devil will fill his mouth with filth. With filth. You fail to teach your son to pursue work, the devil will teach him how to be lazy and will become a tool of hell. If you teach your son to manage his money, he'll be okay. But if you fail to do that, the devil will teach him how to waste it often on selfish and riotous living. And if you fail to teach your son to love his neighbor, the devil will gladly teach him to love only himself. People who don't love others really are narcissistic and they love themselves. So where does it all begin? Trusting Christ to save your dads. You want to have help? You got the book, but to understand the book, you need the Spirit. How do you get the Spirit? The Holy Spirit, you trust Christ as Savior. Some of you are maybe carrying a great deal of guilt right now and you think, oh my goodness, I've blown it so much. Remember that he is the great forgiver. And Jesus Christ will forgive you of all sin for salvation by faith alone, but then the sin that you might have committed by maybe not teaching him when you know you should have or not modeling it when you know you could have and should have, would have, the Lord will forgive you. You go to him. I'd like you to take a moment and close your eyes and bow your heads, especially you men right now. You may be weary with information overload. You might be saying, my kids are grown and gone and I can't get them back and they rebel against me now. Likely you will have grandkids. For sure there are sons and daughters in this church that sure could use some of your assistance right now. We've got Sunday school. You can all get involved in Sunday school and help teach. We'll come alongside you with material. We'll come alongside to help you so that while you're working with your kids, you can work with other kids that dads aren't even here today listening to this message. And who knows that they'll ever get it or apply it. But you can help those kids out. We have Awana launching here shortly. My, every single one of you in some measure could do something, whether you come to it or pray for it or look at your schedule and make some sacrifices. There are ways that you can do this. So ask the Lord where you can do it. And you wives, you mothers, I want you to know that if you're single, I didn't mean to leave you out, but I did want the men to step up because so much is spoken to the ladies and the men need to hear this. But you ladies know in your heart, you're the front line. The kids are going to see you more in life at the beginning than they will see dad. So dad has to be more purpose-driven to do it. You get it all the time pretty much around you. That can be good, but it also can be bad. Dad can come in and focus more on being right and go off and do his own thing later on. But they got to see you morning, noon, and night, especially if you homeschool. So I rise up and I call you blessed. I pray even more for you because I know how much your heart is. You're doing this because of your kids. You love your kids. So I hope I've come alongside you to give you some things to either remind you or to give you new truths. But start now. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, I pray that you would so you can have the source of power, the ability to understand His Word, another teacher with you, the Holy Spirit, and simply say to Him in your heart, Lord, I know I've done things wrong, but the best in it how I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. And I'm doing it right now. And Jesus says, 
He that believes on me has everlasting life. Not believing that he's a historical figure, but that he is the Lord who died and rose again. And you're trusting him to forgive you of all sin because he said he would. So you're believing him, not just believing in him. You're taking him at his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for such a wonderful church, such a wonderful group of people that have come together to learn your word because they know that they have been given a heritage, a gift, and even an assignment from you with their children. And in a sense, since we are Ohana here, a family, a faith family here, the kids that are in our faith family here are our kids too. And so, Father, they've been given to us an assignment to come alongside their parents and to help their kids. And so together we grow to become more like you. And so, Father, help us now to offload some of the good things we're doing so we can upload the great things we should be doing, all for thy glory. Now, Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh